as we read from the Holy Scriptures this morning from Job chapter 23. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? No, but he would give heed to me. There an upright person could reason with him, and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. If I go forward, he is not there, or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness, and thick darkness would cover my face. Faithful and true are the words of God. God. The birth of a child into a family is one of the most exciting things that can happen to a human being, I think. I remember when my wife Mary and I were about to have our first child. We were so excited. We were going to childbirth classes, reading books about human development and how children develop and where they're at at three months and six months and nine months. We were taking a spare bedroom and Mary was painting it, turning it into a nursery. Then finally the day came and her water broke we headed to the hospital. The labor had begun. And she did fine for the first few hours, but then the labor stalled. And hour after hour after hour, she was not making progress. Finally, in consultation with the doctors, they introduced Pitocin to move the labor along. And yet she labored for over 24 hours before our first child, Grace, was born. But when she was born, we were so excited. We were such proud parents. She was beautiful and everything was wonderful. By that evening, I was ready to get some sleep. I'd been up for over 24 hours. Mary was exhausted. But they wanted to keep her and Grace one more night in the hospital. So I headed home to sleep saying, I'll be back in the morning. I shall never forget right about midnight my phone in the bedroom began to ring and woke me up it was mary trying to say something but she was having trouble speaking i couldn't understand what had happened but i knew something terrible had happened i was jumping out of bed and into my clothes and speeding to the hospital by the time i got there she could barely speak the doctors didn't know what was going on. As she began to lose her speech, then we began to notice that she began to lose control of the right side of her body. And during that night, as I paced back and forth in that room and up and down the hallways, I was praying to God for help. I felt like I was watching the love of my life slip away in slow motion 
I couldn't imagine that I was about to be a new father for the first time with this newborn and not have my wife on my side to raise her. It was a long, dark night. For those of you who don't know the story, she survived and is still alive and things are great and Grace made it and grew up as well. But it was a long, dark night in the midst of the uncertainty and the unknowing. We find Job in this 23rd chapter in a dark place. He has been suffering and struggling. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his property. He suffered through the death of 10 children. And he is having trouble finding God. Have you been there? Once we live long enough, all of us face death and disease, accidents and tragedy. Job is grappling with his own suffering and struggles. As you read through Job, his friends come to try to help His friends, though, have basically been telling him that he must have done something wrong or sinful or all these terrible things would not be happening to him. You can hear it throughout Job. I'll read you just a sample of how his friends have spoken to him. This is in chapter 22, verse 5. His friend says to him, Is not your wickedness great? There's no end to your iniquities, for you've exacted pledges from your family for no reason and stripped the naked of their clothing. You've given no water to the weary to drink, and you've withheld bread from the hungry. The powerful possess the land, and the favored live in it. You have sent widows away empty-handed in the arms of the orphans you have crushed. Therefore, snares are around you. And sudden terror overwhelms you. His friends make these accusations, but there is no evidence at all that any of this is true about Job. They assume, because he's going through a difficult time, that he must have done something wrong. Theologically, they have this preconceived notion that Bad things only happen to bad people. And they assume that God would not allow this to happen to Job unless Job had been a wicked and terrible person. So they make these accusations throughout the book. But if you were here a few weeks ago where we were reading earlier in Job, you'll remember that we've already been given the perspective from heaven as God affirms that Job is in no way guilty of any of this. And Job maintains his innocence throughout the book. Today, we're to a chapter where Job is finally fed up with his friends, accusing him, and he's calling for God. He wants to face off, face to face with God. He wants to make his case. He wants to contend or complain or protest to God. But he says, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. 
I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. There, that is in God's presence, an upright person could reason with God and I should be acquitted forever by my judge. He doesn't mind God judging him because he says he's innocent. But he wants to make his case with God to see if he can figure out why in the world such a righteous and upright person would experience such heartache and tragedy. In verse 5, he said, I would learn, that is, if he could talk with God directly, I would learn what God would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Job is maintaining his innocence all the while, despite all these accusations from others and the prevailing theology that they're presenting, but he wants more from God than that. He just doesn't want to maintain his innocence. He wants to understand more about where is God in the middle of all this. He has some options at this point. Since he cannot find God, he could give up and decide that there is no God. Some people choose that. You just have to kind of suffer in silence because there is no God to contend with. After all, if you cannot find God close, maybe there is no God at all. His other option is the one his friends are presenting saying you're guilty if you would just repent if you'd be a little more humble if you'd be a little more transparent if you'd be a little more honest you would tell us what wickedness you had done and you would repent before God and all these terrible things would end Job doesn't like either of those options he chooses a third option. He is unwilling to give up on God, and he's unwilling to accept the suffering as his just rewards. He wants a deeper relationship with God. He wants to have a hearing where he can protest and complain and contend, but he cannot find God. You hear those verses where we were reading, if I go forward, he is not there, or backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and I cannot behold him. I turn to the right, but I cannot see him. It seems more prevalent in the Hebrew scriptures and in Jewish life to be willing to challenge God and contend with God, to say out loud, oh, I'm a person of faith. But I can't find God right now. But we do have some Christian examples. Mother Teresa was seen as a great person of faith. She won the Nobel Peace Prize, traveled around the world speaking, hundreds, thousands of people coming to hear her, people writing books about her. But mostly she spent her time in the streets of Calcutta, tending to the poor and the diseased, the forgotten, the dying. 
she felt this call of God to leave education where she started and to be a sister of mercy, to tend to the people she found in the streets of Calcutta. And people were amazed at her faith. And I think we all assume that she had this great positive faith. And then about a decade after her death, someone published some of her letters and some of her entries in her journal, and they were dark. And some people said, oh, she was a hypocrite. Others said, oh, she had lost her faith. I think neither of those are correct. I think she was a deep person of faith who felt the strong call of God upon her life and yet saw some of the worst of humanity and struggled with that darkness. Listen to a few of the sentences she wrote. The longing for God is terribly painful, and yet the darkness is becoming greater. What contradiction there is in my soul or this the pain within is so great the place of god in my soul is blank there is no god in me in the darkness i abide lord my god who am i that you should forsake me the one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want. And there is no one to answer. No one on whom I can cling. No. No one. Alone. The darkness is so dark, and I am alone. She, like Job, found herself in a dark place where she was looking for God, but was struggling to find that intimacy with God, that comfort that we yearn for from God. I think she's like Job in the last couple of verses we read where he says, God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. If only I could vanish in darkness and thick darkness would cover my face. I think these are apt descriptions of what it's like when we're in the midst of the suffering and the struggle when tragedy has gripped us and we don't know where to look and when we do look all we see is darkness when the suffering is sudden or unexpected or ongoing it's so hard to find God we ask where is God where is the relief I yearn for? Job says to us, relief is elusive 
in the midst of suffering and grief. I even think of Jesus on the cross at a time in his life where he's been betrayed and beaten. He's been tortured and now tied to a cross to die a slow, miserable death. As Matthew and Mark tell the story, they record this final gasp from Jesus, quoting Psalm 22, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus is looking for help from God in the midst of such a dark and terrible time, in the midst of his own pain and suffering. He's wondering, is God available or is God absent? Is God here or not? The Apostle Paul writes about Christ's suffering as well as his own suffering in one letter early in his ministry, he writes about Christ suffering as an emptying of himself, as a revelation of God's love for us. And then later in his life, after he's suffered much and other Christians are suffering as well, he's writing a letter to the early Christians at Rome and he gets to this part where he's reflecting on suffering and what are we to say in the face of it. In chapter 8, Paul writes, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword and Paul says no no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angel nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is an encouragement to persevere in the face of darkness. It is an encouragement to trust God even when you're going through a difficult time. It's an encouragement to hang on to your faith, even in the midst of suffering without relief. I would suggest to you that suffering requires us to grow in our understanding of God. That suffering challenges us to think more deeply and to grow spiritually if we're going to understand God in God's greater fullness. Suffering surely can take us to a dark place. Yet our faith, 
Our faith can remind us, even in that dark place, that we do not need to be there alone. Job, Mother Teresa, even Jesus himself felt the suffering and the struggle, the pain and the darkness separating them from God. And yet our faith reminds us to hang on even when it feels like that. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest. He writes about suffering. I want to read you a few of his sentences. He writes, we live in a finite world where everything is dying shedding its strength this is hard to accept and all of our lives we are looking for exceptions to it we look for something strong undying infinite and religion tells us that something is god great we say we'll attach ourselves to that strong god then this God comes along and says, even I suffer. Even I participate in the finiteness of the world. Jesus offers us a different view, a God who is in fact a poor, vulnerable, and a humble one like himself. The enfleshment and suffering of Jesus is saying that God is not apart from the trials of humanity. God is not out there aloof. God is not a mere spectator. God is not merely tolerating or even healing suffering. Rather, God is participating. Participating with us in all of it the good and the bad. And then Father Rohr writes, I wonder if people can avoid becoming sad and cynical about the tragedies of history if they do not know this truth. Amen. And thanks be to God.